1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yes, that was Lance Hill. Good to have Lance back on our airways. He's a staple, of course, in the weather community around here. He's been around for a number of years, and we're glad to have him here at WTMJ. All right, we have a lot of ground to cover on today's show. Today's show is going to be, I think if there was one word to describe it, the word would be eclectic. We're going to be talking about national issues. We're going to be talking about state issues. We're going to be talking about local issues. Um, It's going to be a very, very interesting show. We will. We're actually going to also dive into a couple sports issues. Ryan Braun back in the news and the Packers. Uh, Brett Hundley, gone. They traded him for a couple footballs, or actually, like a sep- <laughs> what? Speaking of the Packers, I do have some more news okay. about a different quarterback on the team. Okay, Packers and Aaron Rodgers, this is according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, are expected to complete their record-breaking extension by the end of the weekend. The deal is expected to now be finalized and in place before the start of the regular season, per a source, says ESPN's Adam Schefter. The new deal, expected to be the largest in NFL history... And will tie him to Green Bay for well beyond the two years on his contract and quite likely for the remainder of his career. That will be good. You know, the interesting thing with that is that you, you can sign a deal to make yourself the highest paid player, but then that's only until the next guy signs the big deal. Sure. And I know one of the things that they were trying to do that the Packers, I don't think we're going to have any part of, was, was try to. I think the Rodgers camp wanted an escalator so that if Eric Bilstead comes along and signs a contract higher, then then he automatically gets a bump. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. But bottom line is you're not going to be having any tag sales for Aaron Rodgers one way or the other. The best part is it's done, or at least they want it done by the end of the weekend. Then we don't have to hear about it during the season. They can just play football. Exactly. All is well. Exactly. All, all is well, or in the words of Aaron Rodgers, relax. All right, let us get started. We are... As we do on a regular basis now, we're up on Facebook Live. So if you go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you can watch us. We do the first couple segments of the program. We do that every day. And uh, a number of people do that. I go back and check. I'm at, so you can see the cottage industry is, did my wife dress me today or did I dress myself? It's always kind of one of those games. But we're live streaming on Facebook Live. All right, let, let's let's get started. If you are of a certain age... You can remember when Monday night football was the was the biggest thing going. Uh, back in 1970, ABC debuted Monday night football. And then after the first year or so, the, the, the first three guys, this wasn't true the first year, but the, after, after it really got rolling, you had Frank Gifford, you had Don Meredith, the quarterback for the Cowboys, and you had Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell was sort of this bigger-than-life kind of blowhard figure. He had covered boxing, and he was uh, he he did stuff in the New York media, and he soared to national fame really on on Monday Night Football as as being sort of an acerbic type of commentator. Cosell was on Monday Night Football from like seventy to nineteen eighty three. That was his that was his last year, and during that last year. Cosell found himself in in the midst of a controversy. I I wanted to actually pulled something on this so I I get it exactly correct. There was a a running back for the Washington Redskins. His name was Alvin Garrett. And Garrett was kind of a smaller running back. You know, sometimes you've got the power football running backs, and then sometimes you've got the guys that are faster and more elusive. And, And Alvin Garrett was one of the guys that was faster and more elusive. He was also black. 
So they're on Monday Night Football, and and they're playing a game. It's Dallas versus Washington. And Garrett, who at the time I think was playing wide receiver for the Redskins, he catches a ball, and he kind of makes this elusive sort of darting run, you know, avoiding tacklers. And Cosell says, that little monkey gets loose, doesn't he? And this creates a huge controversy because Garrett is, of course, black. And it's all right. It is Howard Cosell being racist by referring to him as a quote unquote little monkey. Cosell, um, you know, refused to apologize. He said, look, he said this. I, I didn't mean it. I had no racist intent. That is just a phrase I use. I call my grandchildren little monkeys and they're white. That's this. There was no racist intent at all. That happened to be Cosell's last year on Monday Night Football. Now, I don't think he retired specifically because of that, but that is something that dogged him for the rest of his life. That reference to, oh, that that little monkey gets loose, and questions about whether there were racial overtones to that. All right, that was 1983. Flash, flash forward to today, <laughs> and, and the issue is still back in the news. Here's what happened. Yesterday, they had a primary election in Florida to choose who is going to run for governor. The governor of the state is a guy named Rick Scott. He is stepping down as governor. He's running for the U.S. Senate. He's challenging the, the exist, and he's a Republican. He's challenging the existing Democrat senator. Okay, so there's, there's going to be an open seat for governor. They have the primary yesterday. The Republican who emerges from it is a very conservative Republican named Ron DeSantis. And he's kind of from the Trump wing of the Republican Party, whatever that means. And he's supported by President Trump and he, he's a big time conservative. The Democrat election was a bit of a surprise. Matter of fact, I, I think you could describe it as, as kind of a flat-out upset. The winner of the Democratic primary was a guy named Andrew Gillum, who is the mayor of Tallahassee, which is, of course, the capital city in, in Florida. Mayor of Tallahassee. Gillum is a Bernie Sanders Democrat, meaning he's, he's essentially a socialist. All right. That's he's essentially a socialist. But but that's fine. So you now set up this election between somebody who's very, very to the right and somebody who is extremely far to the left. The other thing about Gillum that makes this race perhaps more interesting than it might otherwise be is that he is black. And if elected, he would be the first black governor from Florida. All right. Well, here is the controversy this morning. DeSantis. Um, in in comments on the upcoming campaign, starts talking about the election. Again, DeSantis is the Republican. Here is what he had to say. Well, look, I mean, this is a, the Florida elections are always competitive. And, um, you know, this is a guy who, although he's much too, too liberal for Florida, I think he's got huge problems with how he's governed Tallahassee. Uh, you know, he is an articulate spokesman for those far left views, and he's a charismatic candidate. And, you know, I watched those Democrat debates. None of that was, was my cup of tea. But, I mean, he performed better than the other people there. So so we've got to work hard to make sure that we continue Florida going in a good direction. Let's build off the success we've had on Governor Scott. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. That is not going to work. That's not going to be good for Florida. Okay, and I wanted to give you the context of that. 
So, I mean, you heard it. He's talking about how our races are always competitive. But, you know, I want to continue the traditions of Governor Scott. And the last thing, this is what he says, the last thing we need to do is monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. Right. You heard the context. This has now been incredibly controversial because, as I mentioned earlier, the Democratic opponent, Andrew Gillum, is black and people all across the country are jumping on this, alleging that this is this is the dog whistle, you know, where you you say something, but it's really a coded thing that means something else by using the phrase. We don't want to monkey this up. Is he? being racist and that's what it is you can't say this when he says monkey this up last thing we need to do is monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and banking bankrupting the state the allegation is the republican candidate desantis is sending racist messages 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line all right in this context is this racist or is this a complete and total much ado about nothing? 414-799-1620. We'll be back to discuss it in just a moment. In addition, once again, we live stream this segment, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. We are back to discuss, and I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, live streaming, Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. The white Republican candidate for governor in Florida says, let's not monkey this up by electing his opponent, who is essentially a, a socialist, the Democrat running for governor. The Democrat running for governor is also black. And now, oh, my gosh, you said monkey this up. That has to be inherently racist. This is this dog whistle. It is this coded message that the Republican is sending. Right. It, it might not sound racist on its face, but by he says monkey and that there's a black candidate that's running and you say monkey this up. That's a message. That is a racist message. Do you buy that? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, I'm actually a pretty strong Bernie Sanders supporter. In actuality, if I was down there, I would probably be voting for the, the mayor of Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I appreciate what you played so I could actually hear that whole message that DeSantos put out. He said absolutely nothing racist of any sort. They're going to scream it. But no, that's not true. I, I'm giving you a, a full blessing here. You're, you're right in what you're saying. I won't take up your time anymore. Uh, thanks for so, taking the call. So absolutely. Well, thanks for the call, Mark. I mean, I, I get, well, I, I guess I didn't offer my opinion, but I, I will say this. I, I think this is completely and totally much ado about nothing as, as well. Now, the, the term monkey it up or monkey up, that does actually have a sort of definition, a dictionary definition, and that is to hack together for a particular task to uh, devise, devise a consciously temporary solution. Okay. Well, I mean, let me give you a kind of a parallel. All right. Have you ever heard the phrase, um, it, you, you, we're going to throw a monkey wrench into something? What, well, what does that mean? Now you throw, well, monkey wrench is a thing. You throw the monkey wrench into the thing and then you mess it up. That, I think, is what he is clearly referring to. Now, look, I understand that there is real racism in this world. I I get it. And I also understand that people from time to time can send coded messages. In this particular case, though, 
give me a break. And especially when you listen to the context of what this guy is saying, he's talking about we don't want to elect somebody that has these type of far left ideas that are going to essentially monkey up our economy. All right. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, afternoon, Jeff. I agree that there's absolutely nothing racist about this. Um, if you think about the connotation monkey, if you use any other connotation, black, you know, whatever vernacular you want to use, it doesn't make sense. You think about monkeying something up, you're thinking about screwing it up. Right. That, that, so that to me, when I hear monkey it up, election. right. When I hear monkey it up, I think screw it up. That's, that's what I am thinking of. Now, you know, could yep. you use the term monkey? in a way that would, in fact, be racist? Well, yes, of course. Oh, but, absolutely. But that's not what he said. No. <laughs> that's not what he said. No, thanks to call. I mean, that again, right, you, you could have... Now, okay, Howard Cosell. Now, I mean, Howard Cosell, when he said, you know, look at that little monkey run, or that monkey, little monkey really gets loose. Okay, at, at least in... You know, Howard Cosell said, look, I wasn't being racist a, at all, but at least in that case, if you wanted to make that argument, he was... He was referring to a person as that term. That's not even what this term is. It's just, hey, I, we're throwing a monkey wrench into something. All right? That is that is essentially what the guy was saying. And now you have these people that are trying to play the race card. Chris in West Bend. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks Hi, Chris. For taking the call. Hey, I totally agree with you, and the monkey wrench scenario is perfect. When you played the clip, I almost I got the feeling that he wanted to say <laughs> – something even worse and he was trying to cover oh oh you mean it's something some well he wanted to say like screw it up or something worse than that or or even much worse than that right yeah and and i i think you know afterwards if he'd have thought about it he might have thought oh maybe that wasn't the best choice of words but in the end i think it's again people trying sensationalism at its best and people trying to play this up you know because he used that word and of course, you know, you can use that word as, as you know, to do that. So, well, no, I think you're on to something, Chris. I, actually, that was – that's kind of what I thought when I was listening to the quotation. I, I think he was – I originally thought he was going to say something stronger than screw it up. It might have been what was going through his his mind. But, I, I mean, okay, let's not monkey up this thing. In, in the context, he's not saying let's not vote for a black man because you will monkey. That's not what the guy was saying. He was saying let's not throw a monkey wrench into this. And it's interesting. I'm looking at the thing coming out of the Democratic Party of Florida. It's disgusting that Ron DeSantis is launching his general election campaign with racist dog whistles. What I I think is disgusting is the fact that you have people who are willing to gratuitously play the race card in a situation like this where there is clearly no racist intent and no reasonable interpretation of racism. None at all. All right. We've got breaking news. 1227. From the WDTMJ Breaking News Center, Jeff, we have new details on the Aaron Rodgers contract extension. It comes from James Jones, the former Packers receiver. Here's what we have. Rodgers and the Packers have agreed to terms on a four-year extension. It's worth $33.5 million in new money. 
plus incentives per year. So he will get more than $100 million in guarantees. Rodgers agreeing to a new four-year extension to his current contract. That comes on the same day the Packers trade back up Brett Hundley to the Seahawks for a mid-to-late-round draft pick for next year. That means Deshaun Kaiser is your number two. More details coming up throughout the day. It's 1228. And you know, Eric, you know what that says about the Packers? They really didn't have to do this because... Rodgers is still under contract for two more right, years. Yes. And yeah. then after after that, um, they could have always put a franchise tag on him for two years mm-hmm. and you know, and, and paid him a certain amount. They did not have to do this. But I mean obviously they, they want him to be happy, number one. Number two, I think they reflect they want to reflect his value yeah, to agree, the yes. team and in the league. So I mean I, I think it's a very classy move by the Packers to sign this. And um, mm-hmm. and he'll never go anywhere. It looks like they're going to try to keep him here for the rest of his career, which is exactly what you'd expect. So. Exactly. All right. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'll let the sports guys break down the full details of the Aaron Rodgers contract. Suffice to say, it is a boatload of money with a boatload of money guaranteed and will guarantee that he will, as appropriate, I think, be the highest-paid player in the National Football League for the foreseeable future. Now, they might sign Tom Brady, might come along and might blow the doors off the deal, at least short-term. But it sounds like the Packers have taken care of Aaron Rodgers. He will be happy, um, make a lot of money. The things I'm reading about say they think they've structured it in a way to be as salary-cap-friendly as a you know $20 million per year deal can be. So everybody appears to be happy. All right, that's not the that. There, there's other news though, and I, I, I typically leave the sports stuff to the sports guys. But one of the intriguing stories that has been going on this summer involves the the battle for backup quarterback among the Packers. Now, what three four years ago, the Packers drafted this quarterback out of UCLA, uh, Brett Hundley. And they have been supposedly grooming him to, I don't know, be in a position where he could play football, right? He's the backup quarterback. And the truth is, nobody expects a backup quarterback in the NFL to come in and to replace somebody like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is paid to be the best put, he's going to be making more money than any other football player ever. I think you can make an argument that he's the best player in the NFL, maybe one of the best to ever play that position. So you don't expect somebody to come in off the bench and and be Aaron Rodgers. At the same time, you do expect your backup quarterback to come in and be able to keep the train on the track without, you know, and again, even if you're not going to be Aaron Rodgers, you don't expect this to be completely cratering. Well, what happened is, for whatever reasons, last year after Rodgers gets hurt, a season that could have led to the Packers going to the Super Bowl, it goes completely and totally off the rails. Brett Hundley comes in, and for whatever reason, what's the word I'm trying to use here? Rue, who's producing the show today and always, he sucked. I mean, I look. I, I don't. I don't claim to be an expert football analyst. I, I. I don't. My my high school football career was just like a couple practices. Okay, so but I. I as an observer, I, I'll tell you the story. My my wife had never been to Lambeau Field for a game. So, I at a charity auction, I I got these tickets. Fifty the, the fifty yard line, like fifth row, right. Be, it was the week they were playing the the Baltimore Ravens. So I like it was something like early November last year, 50 yard line, like fourth or fifth row behind the Colts bench. 
So you know, great tickets. We go up there. We, we had a great time. But, it, you know, it was interesting to be that close. Again, I, I'm not a pro football scout. I'm not a coach or whatever. But even sitting you know, five or six rows up, I could see that, that Hundley just just didn't have it. Um, you know, to, to play football, you have to throw the ball to where the receiver is going to be. You know, you have to know that, for example, if the receiver is running a square out, you have to throw the ball where you think the receiver is going to be. Because if you wait until the receiver gets open, by the time you throw the ball and it takes a second or two for the ball to get there, that allows the defensive back to close in. Well, I mean, I just I noticed the dramatic everybody who was sitting in this area. It's not this great observation. We were, you were just watching that that Hundley would hold the ball too long. He'd wait till the receivers broke open. He'd throw it, but by that time the guy was covered. It, it just you, you could see it apparently, and he'd hold the ball too long, and then he'd panic. And look, I understand panic. I'm not criticizing the guy. If I was being rushed by a bunch of 300 pound people, I would do what he did. I would run for my life. You know, heading to the, I'd run to the right because I'm right-handed, and I'd head for the sidelines. That that's what Huntley did. That's what I would do. I understand it, but I'm not trying to play quarterback in the National Football League. So the Packers went three and nine last year with Huntley, and I think it was apparent to me that the guy couldn't play. Now, what I didn't understand is if everybody saw this during the games, why didn't the coaches? realized that they had problems, you know, in practice because they must have seen it in practice. But nevertheless, that it was what it was. So this year, the Packers make a, a trade. And what they do is they bring in the second year quarterback from Cleveland and they trade their first former their former first round cornerback uh, for the guy. So it's an exchange. Last year, the guy from Cleveland started Cleveland was a bad team lost all the games he started but the Packers have an interest in him and think he can improve um plus they wanted to get rid of the the defensive back that they had cuz they thought he was kind of a cancer in the locker room so anyhow the news today and it was interesting last week I was reading a couple stories including one by the guy that writes for the Packers for the local newspaper saying well I think Brett Hundley is the guy that should have the job and I remember reading this thinking what is this character smoking I mean seriously you know Brett Hundley can't do the job why would you make the same mistake over again? Maybe the guy they got from Cleveland can't do it either, but at least give him a chance because you know what you have isn't good enough. In any event, the news is today that the Packers traded Brett Huntley to Seattle for essentially a kind of a bag of football. They, they got a sixth-round pick for him. So three years with the Packers and then moving on. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Packers Nation, here's the bottom line. Anything happens long-term to Aaron Rodgers and the team is in trouble. That That's just that's just the reality, all right? How the Packers go is dependent on how Aaron Rodgers goes. But at the same time, you, you do need a competent backup, the guy that can come in and not hurt you if Rodgers is out for a small period of time. You know, Rodgers gets hit goes into the concussion protocol, has to leave the, the game at halftime or whatever. You you need that person that can come in and can kind of keep the train on the tracks. They decided Brett Hundley was not the guy. I think they did absolutely 110% the totally right thing. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you happy with how the Packers have handled the backup quarterback situation. And I understand 
It's We're talking about the backup quarterback situation, but we saw last year what happens when you have a backup quarterback who isn't ready to play or isn't good enough to play or whatever. Are you happy with the news today? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mark from Bristol sends me a text. Jeff, in my opinion, as a Packer fan, today is the happiest I've been since we won Super Bowl 45. Between the news of getting rid of Huntley and Rodgers signing a contract extension, I say, good riddance, let's look to the future. Jay Cutler would have been better than Hundley. Well, I mean, I don't wish the guy ill, but at some point in time, you know, if your job is to be a backup quarterback and you've been groomed in the McCarthy system for a couple years and then you get the opportunity and you're not able to deliver, that tells me that you you've got to move on. And that's what the Packers, you know, ended up doing. And I think that's the appropriate thing. I, I, I don't wish Brett Hundley ill. I mean, I hope he's able to go on, and as, as long as he's not playing against the Packers, I hope he's able to succeed. But he was a disaster last year, and I think you have to realize you've got to try something different. Let's talk to Steve in Brown Deer. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Steve. Um, yeah, I have to agree. That you don't know if these two backups are going to be any better than Huntley was until they're in a game situation. But you can't rely on Huntley to pull us out. You saw what he did, and he couldn't do the job. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the simple thing. He, he'd had three years, and, you know, McCarthy, Mike McCarthy, who I like as a coach, says, well, you know, he obviously wasn't ready. Well, okay, what does that mean? You, you've had three years, and, you know, you're, you're given the keys to this, you know, great football team, and you, you can't deliver. Well, that tells me that there's a problem with you, and, and go on, and if you can re- resurrect your career, I think that's great, but not in Green Bay. Exactly. Practice is one thing, but if you can't do it in the game, well, yeah. you won. No, no, th- thanks. I mean, again, I, I, I'm not a football coach. I don't claim to be an expert on that, but I will just tell you, sitting on the sidelines up close in these seats, you, you, everybody around there, you don't have to be a football coach to say, my gosh, he's he's playing scared. He's running for his life the whole time. He's holding the ball too long, and, and he's not throwing to where receivers are going to be, which is you know one of the things that if you follow football, you, you understand that you got to throw the ball to where the receiver is going to be. You can't wait till they break open because it's just not going to work. And he was just doing it time and time again, and it was just uh, apparent. 414-799-1620. Tim in Illinois. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Tim. Tim. Okay, let's try Mark, who's also calling us from Illinois. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Excellent topic. I I agree. Uh, he had three years to understand, you know, the offense and to understand how us Packer fans are very passionate about our team. He, he needed to know that, that he needed to be ready in case something did happen to Rodgers. Rodgers goes down, and he goes out there, and he looks like he wasn't prepared at all. And I, I blame him, but I also blame the coaching staff. Yep. You know, like you said, if Aaron Rodgers goes down, we're in a lot of trouble. So you have got to be ready. And being a, a, a passionate Packer fan, you know, and, and how passionate we are about our team, when you get when you get on that team, you had better be ready when your number is called. And he was not ready. And, and I'm happy they got rid of him. Yeah, thanks. I mean, he was either not ready or he didn't have the talent. Again, I, look, I, I'm not a professional athlete, not close to that. So, I mean, it's I, I don't judge in that way. But as a, from the perspective of a fan, you know, when it, I mean, it doesn't matter what your profession is. 
Now, of course, it's more high profile when you're the backup, when you're, you know, playing professional football, but it doesn't matter. When, when you're, when you're the backup, you have to be in a position that you can go in and, and get the job done. Maybe not get the job done necessarily as well as the person that you're filling in for, but at least, again, keep the train on the tracks. And, and that just was not happening. And I, I don't think the Packers had any choice but to do what they did. And, and maybe, maybe the new guy, Deshaun Kaiser, maybe he's not going to be able to do it either. I don't know, but you knew Huntley couldn't and they had to move on. Bob, downtown. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. Um, like the other callers, I'm glad that Rogers signed an extension, and I'm glad Hunley's gone. Uh, the problem is I don't think there's any evidence anywhere that Deshaun Kaiser is going to be any better other than wishful thinking. He, mm-hmm. he was terrible last year. I remember a stat that the two worst quarterbacks in the NFL stats-wise last year were Kaiser and Hunley, <laughs> among guys that got at least five or six starts, something like that. So there's still an enormous amount of uncertainty if things going to the toilet again. Yeah, there. I, I mean, well, the truth is, like we were saying, I mean, if Rodgers goes down for an extended period of time, the Packers are in a world of hurt. I mean, that's just the reality. I guess that to me, the question is, if if they need somebody for a game or a game and a half, can can they do it? And, you know, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe Kaiser won't turn out to be the team. But in, in his defense, he was playing with Cleveland, and Cleveland just was all kinds of bad last year. So, you know, is it well, him or is it the team he's Cleveland's around? Cleveland's Cleveland, and right. at least there's a chance with Kaiser, so I suppose that's a little better than Hunley. Right. Ooh, he couldn't do it. Right, yeah, thanks. I mean, that's all. I mean, right. I mean, I, I, I understand. I mean, but, but Kaiser was the starting quarterback on a really, really bad team, and I understand he had bad statistics, but if if you're playing on a really bad team, maybe that's a little bit understandable. Um, Hundley was playing on a, on a pretty decent team. Maybe, you know, without Rodgers, they didn't have that really high talent level, but he just wasn't able to get the job done. I think that was a recognition. Okay, here's a couple of our texts. Kaiser, as a Cleveland Browns, shredded the Packers in Cleveland last year. I think he'll do just fine if we, if we need him. Um, here's another one. Hundley obviously couldn't get the job done. This is a good move. Kaiser is only 22 years old and can learn and develop from Rodgers for the next couple of years, just like Rodgers did with Favre. I think this was a great move from for the Packers' perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess time will tell, but I do give the Packers credit. One of the worst things you can do, whether it's sports or in any other walk of life, is compound a mistake. You know, you talk to anybody who makes hiring decisions, and let's take it beyond the world of of professional sports. You make a hiring decision. You do it in good faith. It turns out that the person you've hired, it, it just it's not a good fit. He's not he or she isn't good enough for the job, or it doesn't mesh well, and it's not working out. The worst thing that you can do in any business is to simply compound the mistake by saying, well, I've made this decision and I don't want to admit I was wrong. So we're going to, we've hired somebody to be a salesperson and they're just not working out for whatever reason. They're not working out. The worst thing you can do is just let that person continue to flounder or whatever. You you have to, and I've always respected managers and business people who have been willing to say, okay, we, we made a mistake here. Just because you drafted, you know, Hundley, 
and you've spent two and a half years trying to develop him or three years in developing, the, the worst thing you can do is say, well, we've got this time invested in him and we have to keep him. No, maybe you just recognize it's time to move on. I think that's a, a good lesson, and it's tough for people to do. People in management don't like to admit that they made a mistake, that this wasn't the best hire or whatever. I mean, I give the Packers credit for doing this, and I don't wish Brett Hundley ill. I, I don't. Again, I, I hope he goes on, and I hope he's able to revitalize his career. I hope he is able to stick with Seattle, and as, as long as Seattle's not playing the Packers, I wish him the very, very best of luck, but I'm glad it's going to be somewhere other than Green Bay. Good news, I think, on two fronts coming out of Green Bay today. One, the signing of Aaron Rodgers to a new multi-year contract, which should keep him happy, and number two, a recognition that what they had last year wasn't good enough. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're going to be talking about how flooding affected you a little bit later on in this hour. But I did, I did want to try to use all the rain that we've had over the last couple of days as kind of a teachable moment. This is, and I'm going to put on my recovering lawyer hat for just a moment. This is a reminder that all of us who are homeowners should check our homeowners insurance policies, and and, and here's. Here is why. You know, we're reporting all these different stories about people who've had their basements flooded and lost all this type of stuff. And and some people are, are surprised to find what insurance covers and doesn't cover. All right. As a general rule, a homeowner's insurance policy, if you have a rider on it, it will cover sewer backup. You might need a rider, um, but, but the insurance company will cover sewer backup up to a certain dollar limit. So if your sewer backs up because of intense rain and it, it damages stuff in your basement and it takes out your furnace and your hot water heater and all that, you, you, you can get coverage for sewer backup. And again, in many cases, it doesn't come automatically with policies and it might vary from, you know, what policy you have or not, but it, it generally doesn't come as a matter of course. Normally you have to ask for it, but but you can get it for sewer backup. Now, what a number of people are surprised to learn is that homeowners insurance, and maybe there's some policy out there that I don't know about, but as a general rule, homeowners insurance does not cover damage from flooding. Sewer backup, if you've got the rider, yes, but but flooding. You know, you get the 11 inches of rain, and it's not backing up through the sewer drains. It's pouring in through your, I don't know, the window wells or whatever. Flooding, as a, as a general rule, is not going to be covered by your typical homeowner's insurance policy. What you need to do is you need to get this national flood insurance that they have, and you have to, that's a, that's a separate insurance policy. It's issued, you know, by the insurer who works with the federal government. You have to pay a separate premium. It is completely separate from your homeowner's insurance. And uh, very few people know about it and very few people have it. And, and I'm not, I am not suggesting that, you know, the, the average person should go out and get it. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it makes sense for your particular situation or not, but if you're worried about, Flooding, as opposed to sewer backup, it's something that you should be talking to your insurance agent about because you might think, oh my gosh, the basement is flooded and I had a finished basement and I've lost all this and I got to replace my furnace and I got to do this and it got up and it got into the electrical system and I need all of that. 
oh, this, but my homeowner's insurance will cover it. Well, maybe not if it came from flooding. And I just, I bring this up because these are these situations where you never think it's going to happen to you and nobody wants to have to use insurance and things like that. But it, it is something definitely to think about. I remember when I lived in Milwaukee County, after the flooding that we had in 2010, remember the giant sinkhole on Oakland Avenue and all that flooding? I, I, I had just a trickle of, I, you know, I was fortunate. I didn't, my, my basement essentially stayed dry where, where I lived. Occasionally when it really, really rained hard, you got a little bit of a trickle, but it was unfinished. I didn't have any problems with that. But even then, I made the decision, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the flood insurance. I'm not saying it makes sense for people. I'm not encouraging people to do it. But I, I did want to just take a minute at the start of the program, given all that's happened in this area, just to mention that it, it might be – if you're concerned about flooding, now now it's too late now that we've had this, but if it, it could actually happen again, it might be worth sitting down with your insurance agent and saying, hey, I'm just kind of curious, what what's covered and what isn't covered and – you know, do I really need this? And just maybe use this kind of as a teachable moment to figure that out. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. I, if you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I argue all the time that there needs to be consequences for bad behavior. I am the guy that rails on slap on the wrist sentences. On taking, for example, kids, juveniles that steal car after car after car and continuing to treat them as juveniles, not as adults. I'm the guy that rails about how was it that this person who just shot somebody in a carjacking could have been out of jail. I am the guy who mocks Democratic candidates for governor who argue, gee, we should cut the prison population in half. That's just absolutely ridiculous. It is not doable in a fashion that doesn't result in releasing a number of dangerous people on the street. At the same time, there are certain crimes, which even if they're not crimes of violence, I think require accountability. So I want to share with you this story that appeared in the Journal Sentinel. I think it's on the online edition today. Here's the headline. Suburban mom who embezzled $200,000 to keep up with the Joneses avoids prison. A Menominee Falls mother trying to, quote, keep up with the Joneses, end quote, when she embezzled more than $200,000 as a chief operating officer was sentenced yesterday to five years of probation and a year of house arrest, but no prison time. U.S. District Judge Lynn Edelman, who is one of the more liberal judges in the country, he was a very, very liberal state senator from Waukesha before he was appointed to the bench. U.S. District Judge Lynn Edelman called it a close case. A close case. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to go through the details. She stole $200,000. He called it a close case with hard feelings that could justify prison. But Jennifer M. Goss was not a threat to the public. And it was better she keeps working to repay the victims at least some of their losses. Goss, 37, routinely wrote checks to herself and her husband, who also worked for financial equipment company, then altered company software to make it look like the checks were to other payees, like FedEx Freight, according to her plea agreement. She pleaded guilty to wire fraud in May. So she's the chief operating officer. She's got authority to write checks. What she's doing is she's 
writing checks to herself and her husband, but she's I was going to say monkeying around. Is that racist? She was monkeying around, cooking the books to make it look like she was writing those checks to other people when she was taking the money. Dennis Wick, who founded the now-closed Germantown company, hired Goss after she'd been fired from another job, became close with her family, and planned to pass the company on to her and her husband, according to the government sentencing memo. It's one thing to be robbed by a stranger, wrote the assistant U.S. attorney in the case. It's much worse when a friend who does it. The thefts, the thefts had dire financial and health consequences for the owner. The U.S. Attorney's Office recommends a 27-month prison term. They say the victims earned the right to live comfortably and happily in their golden years, and this woman took it away from them. The scheme ran from January of 2012 until July of 2015. So this is something that went on for three-plus years. When Financial Equipment hired an accounting firm to assess a value of the company ahead of the anticipated sale, the accountants discovered the embezzlement and Financial Equipment had to spend another $100,000 on forensic accounting to discover the scope of the crimes. The attorney for the woman said she didn't need prison. Her and her husband have two children under 12. She has no prior criminal record, a supportive family, and she's got a new job as manager of a Costco optical department. Huh. All right. Losing the job would jeopardize her continued $700 monthly payments to financial equipment pursuant to terms of a civil settlement. So she stole 200 grand. She's paying $700 a month back. That's 7,000. That's $8,400 a year. All right. Well, all right. Maybe 25 years from now, she pays him back. Maybe. In the sentencing memo, the attorney wrote that therapy had helped Goss gain insight into her crime. And what she now realizes is about keeping up with the Joneses. In hindsight, she says she can't believe I did this. Let me translate that. The woman's a thief in the extreme things. I, well, I, I mean, everybody always has reasons as to why they stole stuff. This woman stole $200,000 because she wanted to keep up with the Joneses. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, she, let's see, they said... Extreme greed and covetous drove the actions. I mean, these victims were really messed up about this. Um, but nevertheless, nevertheless, the judge in this case decides no jail terms, no jail time, house arrest for a little while, and five years of probation. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, and I, I guess my question is, react to this sentence. Does this sound appropriate? She didn't walk into a gas station and stick a gun in anybody's face, but she systematically stole $200,000 from her employer over the period of three years, essentially devastating the, the employer. This was a small business. She ripped them off big time. And she doesn't do a day of prison for it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, one of the most difficult things and one of the frustrating things I have is for somebody who argues that there needs to be accountability when people commit crimes. When you have a suburban woman who steals somebody blind, I understand people say, wait a minute, you're saying that some guy that walks in and sticks a squirt gun in somebody's face and takes $50 out of a cash register should go for a jail for a year or prison for a year, and yet you have some suburban mom who steals $200,000 and she's essentially slapped on the wrist? You're right. That is tough, tough, tough to justify. And I think sentences like this are appalling. 
We discuss next. It's 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yes, a federal judge yesterday has a woman. She stole $200,000 over a period of three years, embezzled it from her employer, essentially put this small business under. Um, 200000 bucks stands in front of Judge Lynn Edelman, who's a very, very liberal federal judge, and he says, well, it's a close case. Close case. And he decides, I'm not sending you to prison. Nope, nope, nope. Five years of probation and one year of house arrest, presumably with time off to leave the house to go to her job at Costco now. 414-799-1620. It is, it, it is sentences like this which infuriate me because it is impossible. I mean, I understand why people say the system is racist. I don't buy into that, but you say, all right, wait a second. You know, if you're a black kid from the inner city who goes in and takes a squirt gun so it looks like it's a gun and you steal $50 out of a cash register, you say you go for jail for a couple years, and if you're a suburban mother, you steal $200,000 systematically because you want to keep up with the Joneses and you don't do a day of jail time? This is an appalling sentence. DJ in Milwaukee, you're on WTMJ. DJ. Yes, sir. You're on the air. Hi. All right. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I feel like that, like the slap on her wrist is an understatement just because, like, the statement she uses is keeping up with the Joneses. So basically, she was just doing it to to look nice, you know, that just to have extra money. She hmm. was a suburban mom, like I said. She had a pretty good job, it sounds like. And, yeah, I think she uh, was making. I could be wrong here. I think she was making upwards of a hundred grand, you know, or, you know, or herself. But you know, she decided I wanted more than that. I could be wrong on that. I thought I saw that somewhere. But yeah, she's making a whole bunch of money. She's got a good job. She's a chief operating officer, and that's not enough. So she decides she's going to steal more and more and more. That, that's the craziest thing about it. And not a lick of jail time. Not like that. You know, like she got a five years probation. That's like a slap on her wrist. It you is. Know? Like you said, like that. I don't think it's racist at all. Like I, I, I hate using that. Like that, I don't think that's the case in this situation. But I can understand why people feel like that. You know, because like that, that that urban kid that's doing it because he don't have anything to eat. Yep. He does. You know, it's fifty bucks. He does a year or two. For like, he really don't have. And this lady, like you said, could be making a hundred thousand dollars. So I, I feel like she should. They should have gave her something. Well, right. Exactly. I mean, right. thanks for calling. Now, I'm not arguing that you necessarily send her to prison for 25 years. But, I mean, the U.S. Attorney's Office, they only recommended, you know, 27 months. I mean, it wasn't like they were saying, let's warehouse this lady. But at some point in time, don't you have to have some deterrent value? Here's a text that makes this point. This kind of sentence provides almost no deterrent effect. If all you have to do is agree to pay back some of the money and stay home for a little while, you know, what? what is the incentive? Why wouldn't everybody try to steal this? And you know what? That is absolutely the case. And that's, I mean, it's it's why some of these sentences are just so completely and totally screwed up. And it's why, I mean, I think people objectively look at this system and they say, hey, you know, we've got, there's problems here. There is problems with we treat different people differently, and this is the classic example of it. If you are a suburban woman and you steal hundreds of thousands of dollars, no problems. We're going to look the other way. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, afternoon, Jeff. Uh, two things here. Number one is Judge Edelman's always been a disgrace on just about every sentence that he's handed down. And number two, if this was a guy, I mean, you or me or anybody else, You'd not get away with it. And I hate, I've been married long enough. I know not to play the sexist card and stuff like that. 
but any guy that tries to pull this is going to get the book thrown at him. Well, I, you know, Jason, thanks for call. I, I, you know, Lynn Edelman is what Lynn Edelman is. Some of his, I mean, he, he's he's just he's very liberal, and you know that's. I mean, I, I have friends who, who say he, he does a good job on some sort of cases, and I'm I'm not going to generalize. Other than I think this particular sentence was appalling. You are right, though, in my opinion, and this is somebody who worked in the sentencing system for a while. There, there are biases, and one of the biases is you have particularly male judges who don't like dropping the hammer on women. And, and I, I understand some people might say, well, how can you say that? I'm just saying, based on my experience, those are things that I have, in fact, noticed. You have judges, male judges, who, I don't know, they look at the defendant and they see they see their mom or their wife or their daughter or something like that, and, and so... They bend over backwards to treat them differently. Now, I don't know what was going on here, but I will tell you this. If you can, in Wisconsin, in the Eastern District of Wisconsin, steal a couple hundred thousand dollars from your employer and then essentially walk away with no accountability, it's tough. It is tough moving forward. I mean, I'm telling you, if I'm an employer out there, you better watch it because it seems to me you're not getting any support from the federal court system. Really. Five years of probation and a year of house arrest for systematically stealing two hundred grand over a period of years. Wow. One twenty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One thirty seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, let's see, Vice President Mike Pence. He's on his way to Milwaukee uh, tomorrow. No, yeah, Thursday. John McCure is back. He has a preview of the VP's appearance starting at three o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. By the way, I two days ago the story was breaking. We we discussed it. the The story of these two black pastors who are screaming racism in in the stop. You, you, you've probably seen the story. I mean, we, we talked about it right after it broke. These two black pastors from Milwaukee who go fishing They're dri- in Jefferson County. They're driving back on the freeway, and they have a flat tire on their boat trailer. So they pull over to the emergency lane. They call their insurance company. Insurance company says, okay, we're going to send somebody out to fix it. So they're waiting by the side of the road. Sheriff's deputy pulls up and sees this vehicle by the side of the freeway. Deputy gets out, first of all, goes up and says, have, have you reported this? Have you called in a, a squad? And they say, no, we've called the insurance company. People are on the way. Okay. The deputy then says, do you have any guns in the car? Which is apparently a standard procedure that this deputy and many do. And we took calls on this. Lots of other people who were broken down by the side of the road said, yeah, this has happened. People for their own protection, especially in a concealed carry world nowadays, the the law enforcement will say, do you have any guns? So they ask the people for guns. They say no. Fine. They then say, do you have identification? They both say, yes, we do. He takes their driver's license. He goes back. He checks it, brings them back, gives them to their pastors, puts an orange sticker on the back of the trailer. The orange sticker is what police authorities use. It it tells other officers that the vehicle has been checked out. So, I mean, if you see a car stranded by the side of the road, you don't have to stop. Somebody else has stopped. And then the officer goes on his way. That's the encounter. These two black pastors have hooked up with a group called Common Ground, which is one of these sort of lefty organizations, and they're screaming racism. And now Common Ground is asking for other people who might have had encounters with the Waukesha Sheriff's Department to come forward. And, you know, we discussed this. I'm going, where is the racism here? I mean, the cop comes up, you find a car by the side of the road. You go up, 
You ask them if they've called for help. They tell you, yes, they have. There's help on the way. You ask if they have guns. They say no. You take their identification. You check it out. You give it back to them. You mark the car, and then you move on. I mean, seriously, that this and the reason I, I re- repeat this is this story is now in the damn Washington Post. That this shows how these types of allegations, frivolous in my opinion, still they get traction. The headline in the Washington Post today, two black pastors wanted help with a flat tire. A sheriff's deputy asked if they had guns or drugs. No, that's not what happened, whoever the headline writer is for the Washington Post. A sheriff's deputy is investigating a car that's broken down on the side of the road. The people in the car tell them they don't need help. They've called for help. The tow truck or the guy that changed the flat is on the way. The sheriff's deputy does ask if they have guns because that's what sheriff's deputies do nowadays. They ask for identification, and then everybody goes on their way. And this is being played as an example of how racist the Waukesha deputies are. Give me a break. As I say frequently on this program, I understand there is real racism in this world. And when you identify it, I think it needs to be called out. But seriously, this whole idea of, well, this this is a microaggression, and they wouldn't have treated me this way if I were white. Well, we took phone calls for the better part of a half hour from people who said, you know, we, we, we were stopped with flat tires or whatever, and this is exactly what people, the way the police proceeded. Do you have any guns in the car? Can we see identification? And then... They mark you with the orange thing or the sticker, and then they move on. All right? Now, if the these two black pastors had said, you know, we, we need help. We were just waiting for somebody to come along. Can you help us? And the deputy had refused to do it. Maybe you've got a different story. But it, that's not how this all played out. They said, no, we've already called for help. There's, you know, we've notified our insurance company. Somebody's on their way. They didn't ask for the sheriff's deputy to do anything or call him a tow truck or whatever. Again, This is, to me, this is manufactured allegations of racism, and it's not good for anybody. But now this has become a national story because it plays into the media template that is out there now. All right, let us switch gears. It has has really rained over the last couple days, and a few areas, first of all, it was Madison, and Madison continues to get whomped. Now, particularly in the northern part of our listening area, you had day after day after day of torrential rain with very little little breaks. You've had um, the river, the Milwaukee River looks like it's going to be cresting. You've had basements that are flooded. You still have people that are without power. I mean, we've really gotten, I don't know, what's the technical term for it? Whooped. We've gotten really whooped <laughs> over the, the last over the last couple of days with regard to, to flooding. And I know I know it has been a, a struggle. And I think sometimes sometimes if you happen to be the one that dodged the bullet, if you say, Okay, well, all right, I, I live in Franklin and, and this time we didn't get the kind of rain that they got up in Washington County, Ozaki County, so it didn't really affect me that much. And sometimes I think we tend to tune that out. I want to devote a, a segment because I, I think this is an example, and, and we've seen this, with the people people filling sandbags, with the, the community kind of rallying together to deal with the problems that have happened with flooding. But I, I want to spend one segment, and I'm going to call this after the deluge, um, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, how bad was this 
in your particular area? Because I, I want to give you an opportunity to, to weigh in. I mean, there are still roads that are kind of washed out, you know, roads that are impassable. We saw the video the other day about how all of a sudden you have just flooding that's, you know, had freeways closed, particularly, like I say, in Washington County and Ozaki County. But how did you deal with what's happened over the last couple of days and how bad has it been? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Every once in a while when we go through situations like this, I, I like to take a segment or two and, and, and turn the program over to kind of an electronic town hall so we can kind of share the common experiences. So flooding, 414-799-1620, were you whumped? How badly were you whumped? Is this a problem that continues to be ongoing or is it getting a lot better? We'll be back with your calls in just a moment. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is 144. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Harley-Davidson's 115th anniversary is celebration. It's finally here. John McCure is back. He'll let you know everything you need to know to take part in the party. That starts at 3 o'clock this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I, I know John is going to be spending a lot of time on what we're talking about right now, which is the 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 massive amount of flooding that we've had pretty much hit the, the entire state. Um, on Tuesday... You had the governor declare a state of emergency for Fond du Lac, Juneau, La Crosse, Monroe, Vernon, and Washington counties because of the storms. Last week, there was another uh, executive order declaring an emergency in Dane County because of what happened in Dane County. You had reports of tornadoes that touched down. Um, at one point in time, around 10 o'clock last night, you had more than 22,000 customers for We Energies who were without power because of the winds and things like that. You, you have flooded basements, and what's happening is you have roads which are still kind of impassable. Um, we, last night, while all this kind of stuff was going on, we were a little bit south of it, and we went to my, uh, granddaughter's volleyball game, and we were, we're coming back, and, and, and where we were, it just rained a little bit, but you didn't have the massive storms that you had a little bit to the north of the Milwaukee area. But you, you just look at the ground completely and totally saturated. And on the way back, you see, I mean, coming through Ozaki County, you see all these different streets that were blocked off with the barricades. And they say, just don't go down there. The road is impassable because of the high water. And you look at the disruption to people's lives. I have a number of uh, texts um, a number of texts that are sending me pictures of, you know, trees down in their particular neighborhoods. Um, Todd and Big Ben says, well, I, I'm lucky I did okay, but what can I do though to help those that got hit? That is a very interesting question. And my advice would be stay tuned because I, I think, um, I think over the next day or so, we might be outlining some plans that might help some of those people who got hit. But it, it's, it's, and again, keep in mind, as we were talking about earlier, in some cases, you know, the, the property damage may not be covered by insurance. So I'm sure that there's some people who are going to be really, really hurting, especially as, you know, given the, the nature of some of the damage that was done to their homes. But this, this this was bad. There's just no question about it. And it's it's bad also because this is not the time of year that you would necessarily expect day after day after day 
of relentless amounts of rainfall like we were end up talking about. Somebody was saying to me yesterday, well, you know, we needed some rain. I said, well, we needed some rain. You know, we, we didn't need uh, 11 or, or 12 inches. You didn't need this type of massive stuff, which is causing all the plum, uh, which is causing all the problems. So the bottom line of all this is it, it looks like the weather is going to stabilize a little bit, but, uh, there are areas in our listening area that were hit extremely hard, and they're going to take a while to kind of dig out, and we'll be telling you some of those stories on the radio over the course of the next couple of days and maybe giving you some ideas as to what we can all do to help people who might not be as fortunate as some of the rest of us who, who dodged the bullet when it came to any sort of substantial you know, property damage. 150, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 153, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There's a saying. When you're wrong, be strong. And it, it's it's one of the things that I think average people find frustrating. It appears CNN. Now, CNN has decided they are going to be the, the anti-Trump network along with MSNBC. And they've decided they're going to declare war on the presidency. And that's why every story you see or almost every story is relentlessly negative. They have a reporter, this Jim Acosta, who covers the White House, who's really not a reporter. He, he's an advocate for the opposition. And that's that's fine. That's how CNN is choosing to make money. It doesn't make them journalists, but it's how they're choosing to make money. And that that's OK. They, they get a right to do it under the First Amendment. Here's, though, what happens when you decide that you're going to be ideologues instead of reporters. And if people wonder why there is a bias in the mainstream media, you need to look no further than this story. Back in July, CNN had this this breathless story saying sources with knowledge say that Michael Cohen, President Trump's longtime personal lawyer, was prepared to tell Robert Mueller that Trump was involved in that meeting at Trump Tower where contacts with Russia were held. I remember that story when it came out because the the president has always maintained, I didn't know anything about this, but the CNN report said, we've got sources that say that this is the, the case. This was a meeting that involved senior campaign advisors to Trump, including his son Donald, and Russian representatives who were purportedly bearing damaging information about Hillary Clinton. Um, according to the CNN report, Michael Cohen was prepared to tell Mueller that Trump knew in advance about the meeting and approved it. Now, th- this is a big deal, because if if it were the case, it could directly implicate the president in a conspiracy with Russian agents to sway the 2016 election. All right. There's a problem with this story. So CNN reports this. The problem with the story is that it's it's not true. Lanny Davis, who's a, a lawyer who's been around the block for years and years and years. Lanny Davis represents Michael Cohen. Lanny Davis has come out and he's outed himself. He says, I was the source of this CNN story. This is what I told them, and they relied on me when running with this. Well, the problem is, he says, problem is, I, I was wrong. <laughs> and, and he gives this kind of like rambling explanation as to why he said what he said. But he says, bottom line is, um, I didn't, I, I, what I told you was wrong. I don't think that's what Michael Cohen said. I, I'm sorry I misled you, but, you know, I, that, that's not true. So you have this, the main source, apparently, for this CNN story has now recanted, 
saying it's it's not true. CNN still sticks by the story. Now, for example, other outlets that have reported this, like the Washington Post, they're at least now going out and saying, okay, well, you know, we, we can no longer verify this story because the principal source says it's, it's not true. So that's what we ran with. CNN refuses to back down, um, even though they relied on, on Davis and his statements. Um, and apparently what they're saying is that, well, all right, we, we did use him as a source. You know, he was one of the anonymous sources, and we acknowledge that, that he says it's not true anymore. But um, maybe they have another source who said the, the same thing. So this is, again, now you have this really, really, I don't know, explosive type of story. It was reported based on the use of anonymous sources. One of those anonymous sources says it's not true. And I'm, I'm sorry I misled you. And you've got CNN that refuses to back off. It refuses to acknowledge that the story that they ran, and maybe they ran it in good faith, they're relying on this, but now that you have, again, this explosive story which is undercut, if you were a responsible news organization, what you would say is, okay, well, we can no longer verify this story because at least one of the principal people that we relied on for this now says that it, it's not true, that they backed off, and that happens. I mean, I don't fault them for relying on Lanny Davis in the first place, but now that the source of the story says it's not true, I think it is nothing short of journalistic malpractice not to back off the story. Or alternatively, if there's somebody else that they're relying on, who is it? That That's the challenge. I mean, who is it? Or did you make this up? Because that's certainly now what the implication of this is. All right, if you're, if there's somebody else that said that President Trump knew about this meeting, because that's, that's really what I think Robert Mueller was looking for. It hasn't been able to find anything. If CNN has the unicorn, if they know something that nobody else knows, especially given the fact that one of the people they relied on is now saying, well, it's not true. All right, I think that they have, if they're going to be a reputable news organization, they have the obligation to come forward and put up or shut up. And the fact that they refuse to do it tells you how biased this is. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about, well, we're going to be talking about the holiday parade. We're going to be talking about Ryan Braun. And if you go on vacation, you better watch your mouth. Stick around. It's all coming up. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Beck, WTMJ Grew, who's producing the show today and always. You ever been to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? All right. Well, you've never been there. Well, here's something. I, I've been there once. Um, I went with a number of years ago. A, a guy I know, a friend of mine, he goes on a golf trip with about like eight or nine guys every year. And, and they go to different places. And one year he invited me along. And so I, I, I went. Um, and, and it was it was actually kind of fun. It was one of those deals where you, I, I want to say, you, you fly in Friday morning and you play like 18 holes of golf on Friday afternoon. And then you play six holes of golf on Saturday. And then you play 18 holes of golf on Sunday morning. And then you limp home. It, it was one of those kind of intense guys weekends where you play a lot of golf. And it was Myrtle Beach, and I think it was sometime in March or something, as I remember, a number of years. Anyway, I, my, my recollection is positive. The, the golf courses were good. 
It was warm. The food was good. You know, you've got the Myrtle Beach of South Carolina. So you, you have, you know, great seafood and things like that. And I, I, I had a good time. I remember they were, were sort of draconian when it came to their liquor laws. And, and some of this I think has changed in Myrtle Beach on Sundays. You still can't buy packaged liquor. So like the liquor stores. You can buy beer or you can buy wines. You can go buy a six-pack of beer, but you can't buy a a bottle of Jameson's or something like that on Sundays. In addition, and I don't know if this is still the case, all the restaurants, when they serve liquor, so if you ordered a gin and tonic, they they had airplane bottles of of gin. Like they didn't do free pours or anything like that. It would be they'd open up a little bottle and they'd pour it in. It was just, it was sort of an odd kind of approach, but nonetheless, that's how it was. So, but I like Myrtle Beach. Haven't been back, but I wouldn't have, you know, if the right opportunity presented, I would be glad to go back. However, if I were to go back, I guess I would have to understand that I better watch my language. Now, as a general rule, I'm not going to say that I am perfect. And every once in a while, one of those bad words, one of the seven words that George Carlin says you can't say in Milwaukee or on the radio, one of those words will come out of my mouth. I also am one of these people who believes in generally civility. There's there's nothing worse. Well, there are a few things worse than you're you're in a, a public setting. You're sitting at a ball game. You're sitting out in public, and a, and a row behind you, for example. You've got the the leather lunged loudmouth, and every third word is a every third word is the f word or something like that. There, there's just it gets it gets old, it gets annoying, and I am by no means a a prude. Okay, I've heard the language, I've used it, but after a while, it's kind of like it, it gets old. And unfortunately, nowadays you get into situations where it seems like for some people they can't communicate unless there's this bad word or that bad word. Well, here's here's the deal. Myrtle Beach, and matter of fact, the reason this is a story, it's getting national attention, is the in Myrtle Beach, it's a tourist town, but they're especially concerned they get a lot of kids on spring break and things like that. Myrtle Beach is cautioning people that those who use profanity in public could face a $500 fine and or 30 days in jail. Let me put this in perspective. The woman steals $200,000 from her employer, gets convicted, and U.S. District Judge Lynn Edelman gives her house arrest and probation for stealing $200,000. You could go to jail for 30 days in Myrtle Beach for saying a bad word. Here's the way the, the ordinance works. This is what the police say. A person would violate Ordinance 14-61B if he or she uses language likely to provoke a reaction from another person. The ordinance lists several examples of the types of words which are unlawful. Many of those words I cannot say on the radio here. Um, The penalty for conviction could include a fine and or jail time. We encourage everyone to avoid violating this ordinance by speaking to others with the same respect and kindness that he or she deserves. The city issued about 300 tickets for profane language in 2017, an average ticket costs an offender $77, police said. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
If you use in general, and again, I'm not going to go through the particular list of words because that gets me in trouble with my bosses and with the FCC, but um, language likely to provoke a violent reaction from another person, blank you, you can be charged with violating the profanity ordinance and you can be fined and or sent to jail. Does this seem like overkill or should more communities adopt this? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we crack down on profanity? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. They call it the profanity ordinance, and they've got it in Myrtle Beach, and what it is, it's a variation of, of a disturbing the peace ordinance, which says it's unlawful to create a, a public disorder. And one of the things that creates a public disorder is by, again, using, using language, which is likely to generate a violent reaction from another person. And uh, types of words that might be a problem. Four one thing seven four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Would you support something like this, Brandon and Jefferson? Brandon, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Um, that's pretty similar to a uh, statute we have here in Wisconsin underneath the disorderly conduct bill for profanity. Uh, part of that statute means any profane, boisterous activity can result in disorderly conduct, either ticket and or arrest. So. You know, it's some one of those things we have up here where if it's just profanity, we're probably going to be writing tickets for it. But if anything else can be accompanied with that, you might see a citation result in that and or an arrest. If it were just the use of language, you know, two guys in a bar or on the public streets, blank you, no blank you, do you think it would be appropriate to write them a ticket? I don't believe so, and I, I think it would be appropriate if there were children present, juveniles present. Um, but unless that profanity leads to a push and match or something else, I don't think it should result in citation. There's far more things that are occupy law enforcement than writing tickets for a couple of bombs. Well, right. <laughs> yeah, especially, right. I mean, look at what goes on in the city of Milwaukee, for example. Thanks for the call. If you were writing tickets, the city attorney's office would be swamped if every time somebody says a bad word in public. I'm looking at the ordinance. I mean, and, and essentially, again, it's... It's disorderly conduct, but here's how they describe it. By making, uttering, or directing towards another person any lewd, obscene, or profane, or lawless expletive, or epithets, or fighting words, which is a matter of common knowledge when addressed to ordinary citizens, are inherently likely to provoke violent reactions, including but not limited to calls, threats, and invitations to immediately engage in physical violence. But it's described as lewd, obscene, or profane sort of comment. So, again, in my example, blank you. No, blank you. That would violate the statute. And they wrote 300 tickets last year. Craig in West Bend. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, my first thought was, okay, is there a list of words? But <laughs> if you're talking about provoking somebody, okay, what if I, in certain circles, if you said, I support President Trump? Well, very, uh, <laughs> right. Or, yeah. What about you know racial slurs? Well, okay, no, no. Let's stick with no. Let's stick with your first example. Let, let's let's not go to the racial slurs, but let's stick with that. I mean, is it a is it fighting words to walk in and say, you know what? I I think 
Donald Trump is doing a great job. He's making America great again. And then you get somebody who says, I'm going to punch you in the nose for saying that. that that's yeah. that's exactly. Is, is this is it fighting words? <laughs> you know, if, if you're saying that. It's just crazy. And then, like I say, then if you throw in racial slurs, I mean, are they right? No. Is it a free speech? Yeah. You know, I, I just, I don't see how they can enforce it evenly across the board on a regular basis. Right. No, thanks. See, that that's what struck me about this story. It, it struck me as, I think, the legal term would be kind of like void for, for vagueness. I mean, because you raise an, an absolutely outstanding point. How, where are you going to draw the line on this? And, you know, is it going to be, all right, well, we're going to include obscenities. Well, if it's going to be obscenities, is it going to be, are you going to treat mild obscenities the same way as you treat big obscenities? But also to your point, I mean, at what point in time do you have, do you have this kind of First Amendment sort of thing? Is it fighting words to talk politics on the public street, knowing that you're going to provoke somebody? I, I think, Look, I, I, the reason I hate to talk about topics like this is I, I, the public discourse nowadays is, is in many respects, it is, it's become so much coarser over, over the years. The fact that you, you have language, which you, you shouldn't say in front of children and it just, just language that, all right, it's the type of stuff that, that maybe, you know, you know, some guys say to each other, and I'm not trying to be sexist, but I understand women swear too. But stuff that I, I think all of us would agree that we, we probably wouldn't be throwing around some of these terms in front of our moms. But nowadays, it, it, you, you go on the public streets, and, and that's it. That's the way people talk. And, and I don't want to defend that at all because it's, it's cringeworthy. I can't tell you how many times that I will be in restaurants or public places, and I'm with some of the – children that I, I now am surrounded with in my life and I, I love all of that and you hear somebody who's using you know bad language and they're using it on a regular basis and again I'm not I'm not putting myself on a pedestal I, I'm used to being around adults and occasionally when I'm in real life occasionally I'll let a word slip and it's like, Ooh, I, I, you know I, I and I, I'm not proud of that but it it's not a general pattern but yet you're sitting in front of or behind or at the next table and every third word is a bad word or whatever and it gets to be just wearying on you for a while I think candidly that that if you are in a restaurant or you are in some place of business I think the owner of that business has every right to say look you know, you, you gotta dial it down. You know, I'm sorry, here, you, you know, there's, there's, there's kids in this restaurant or whatever. You gotta dial it down or you gotta go someplace else to eat. I think owners of businesses have every right to do it. At the same time, if you're out on a public street or in a public sidewalk, I, I don't think if you got two guys who are yelling obscenities back at each other, that automatically constitutes disorderly conduct or something that you punish. On the other hand, if it then leads to something else where, you know, the two people start cursing at each other and it leads to the fight or whatever, that's a whole different story. But bottom line is, if you're going to Myrtle Beach, better be prepared to bring a bar of soap because you might want to wash your mouth out. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The atheists, the angry atheists, back in court. And they lost the big one. All right. Now, we, we always talk about how you have to keep God out of public life, and one of the questions that people ask all the time is, well, wait a minute, what about currency? What about in God we trust? 
Well, you know, if, if we're supposed to have this complete separation of church and state, how can you have the phrase, in God we trust, on money? How appalling is that? And, and why doesn't somebody do something about it? Well, interestingly enough, some of these angry atheists decided that they were, they, they were going to do something about it. And they started a lawsuit saying that by allowing the phrase, in God we trust, to be on currency, you violate the First Amendment's Establishment Clause. And they found this. there's this lawyer out there who, um, he, he's again, takes up these kind of causes because, well, that's just what the guy does. So they sue. And they sue out of Minnesota, federal court, lose in the district court level, and then decide, well, we're going to appeal this. We're going to take this up. So here is the deal. Yesterday, the U.S. Court of Appeals in St. Paul, Minnesota, and this would be the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Well, they disappointed 29 atheists, childrens of atheists, and atheist groups by saying, putting in God we trust on currency, sorry, but that is okay. Now, here's the kind of the background of this. The phrase, in God we trust, began appearing on U.S. coins in 1864 during the Civil War. It was added to paper currencies in the 1960s, and that phrase became the national model, motto in 1956. Thank you, President Eisenhower. So, In God We Trust has been the national motto since 1956. The phrase has appeared on paper coins since the 1960s, and it's appeared on, on, on coins, paper currency since the 60s, and it's been on coins since 1864. The federal court essentially says... Well, you know, we're going to look at the the history of this, and the history of the Constitution lets the government celebrate our tradition of religious freedom, and that putting the motto on currency comports with our understanding of the Establishment Clause without compelling religious observance. In other words, the the, the dollar bill says, in God we trust. You can spend that dollar without necessarily trusting in God or without having to do anything special. It's just it's on there. So in other words, going back to Wagner's rule of life, number one, all you angry, angry atheists, life is tough. Get a helmet. And if you've decided that you don't like the phrase in God, we trust. Well, the bottom line is then, then just don't spend any money. But uh, the Eighth Court of Appeals says, nope. Sorry, we're we're not going to do it. Interestingly enough, the guy that wrote the decision is uh, one of the judges that's been on President Trump's list of potential candidates for open Supreme Court seats if more were to open up. Wouldn't that be interesting if they go ahead and don't nominate, if they would ever nominate that judge? Can you see the atheist just descending? Oh, my gosh, this is the guy who said it's okay to have in God we trust on currency. How terrible that would be or not. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Oh, okay, I'm looking at, I, I was doing something. What, I mean, what do we have, like 15-second bumper music types of things? What, what is this? All right, all, all of a sudden, it's like I was talking to someone about something important. Might be show-related, for goodness sakes, and then all of a sudden, the music runs out after 15 seconds. Ah, 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Bob Costas. 
the reports are Bob Costas is getting ready to bail on uh, NBC. Um, apparently, he's got a contract that runs for another couple years, but the reports are that he is in talks to to leave NBC. I, I think that part of it is that in, what NBC is doing now isn't necessarily consistent with what Costas wants to do. He doesn't do the Olympics anymore. He, he took himself off of that. Um, so NBC doesn't have baseball, so he works for the Major League Baseball Network doing games. Um, baseball is kind of his love. He doesn't do the Olympics. He doesn't do, I mean, they have football, but he doesn't do football. I think what Costas wants to do is he wants to get more into involved in sort of commentary and mixing sports and politics and that that's that's what he wants to do in his later years and that's not necessarily consistent with ESP with uh, with M, with NBC for example you know Costas if he wants to go out and talk about how you know terrible the NFL's been with regard to the way it treats players on concussions it's tough to do that when you know your Sunday night football is your big thing so i i think they're kind of coming to a parting of the ways but it sounds like bob costas who has been an institution at nbc since the 70s is going to be moving on which brings me to that's kind of my segue my lead into what i want to talk about with with institutions the the holiday parade the milwaukee holiday parade which has been an annual tradition since the 1950s. You know, in the holiday parade, you know, traditionally was that that weekend, you know, um, the pre-Thanksgiving and Christmas tradition, you know, in Milwaukee. They announced today that it would always run the Saturday before Thanksgiving, kind of the, the start to the holiday season. Our very own Gene Miller wrote in it for years and years and years. Uh, they announced today that the last that last year, the 2017 edition of the holiday uh, parade, was the last one, and the, the people who've been organizing it and doing a great job of putting it together um, just simply said, "Well, it, it's it's time has come." Um, and they, they say there's a, a lot of reasons for this. I, I think it's primarily financial support that they need to put on the parade. They need to raise about $150,000. The parade's main financial backer was Bonton, Boston Store. Well, Boston Store's gone now, so you've lost that. Johnson Controls was a sponsor. But the bottom line is, I think what what they found is that at least from a financial perspective, et cetera, interest in it was, was waning, which, you know, happens with different things. As somebody who has lived in this community for most of my life, I mean, the holiday parade was always something that you just assumed it was always going to happen. I I, I never rode in it, and I, I think there was once or twice that I actually, you know, went down and, and saw it. But I know for a lot of people, they really enjoyed it. You know, you had the different marching bands, and if you like that type of stuff, it was great. Um, but I think about some of the other things that have gone on in this community over the years, uh, most notably the circus parade. Uh, the circus parade... Well, in it in its second incarnation, it, it went from about 1980 to 2005. It was just a, a main event in in Milwaukee. I mean, it was a very very big deal, and you had an enormous number of people that turned out. Now, the circus parade organizers, I always think they kind of fudged on how many people that there were, but it doesn't matter. There there were a lot of people that showed up, but year after year went by, fewer and fewer people people turned up because there was a sort of sameness to it. Now, I kind of like the sameness. It's sort of like, I like the fact that you go out to the state fair and you've got the same things year after year after year. But from the perspective of the parade, they really 
didn't do a lot of adapting and, and people just got tired of it and it, and it, and it's on. You had the same thing happen with the, the golf tournament, the PGA golf tournament that we had here for years and years. The final version was the U.S. Bank Open, but I think most of us knew it as the Greater Milwaukee Open, the GMO. And you brought professional golfers here. Now, it was always in conflict with like the British Open, and it was always kind of a second-tier golf tournament. But but nonetheless, you had pros that, that came here. And sometimes what you would see is you would have young pros that kind of started their career here. As, my, as, as I recall, I think Tar- Tiger Woods, this might have been the first professional tournament that Tiger Woods played in um, back in, in the beginning. Greg Matzik's in the studio and says, yeah, that's yes, I, I remember that. So, I mean, what what the... You know, the the GMO, or whatever you want to call it, the Milwaukee PGA Golf Tournament and the various names that it had, it, it wasn't typically drawing the top 10 money winners. But what it would draw is a lot of the young pros. And you could say, hey, I, I was there when Tiger Woods started his pro career, that type of stuff. But as time went on, it just people got tired of it and, and they didn't didn't go. So I, I was looking at this story today saying that, the, okay, the holiday parade, this is it. And I, I have the best respect for the organizers. I, I, I do, I do. This is one family has been putting it together since like the 1950s and raising the money. But because of a variety of things, including, you know, financial backers not being around anymore. And I think just kind of all the, 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 the struggles and the efforts, they've just decided, you know, we can't continue to do this. So, now the, the holiday parade kind of fades into the memory books, just like the Greater Milwaukee Open, just like the Circus Parade, and just like a lot of other stuff. I, I think the people that were the organizers of the holiday parade deserve a lot of credit for keeping it going as long as they did and working as tirelessly as they did. And I'm sure that there's going to be some of the people that showed up to participate, you know, rain or shine, uh, either to watch it or to walk in it or whatever, who are, are going to miss it. But this is now going to, I think, inevitably become part of, you know, southeastern Wisconsin, well, just the memories. And and rather than talking about could the holiday parade be saved, should it be saved, because the reality is, I mean, right, right now there's lots of demands for money. And I think given some of the stuff that's going on with some of the longtime sponsors, raising $150,000 or stuff is probably a bridge too far unless – you have some really, really rich person that decides that they want to step up and underwrite it, but uh, there's not too many Jane Pettits that are around anymore. So my guess is the holiday parade, unless, again, there's some angel that's out there that wants to pick up the tab, the holiday parade is going to become a valued and well-remembered part of Milwaukee history. I, I wanted to sort of take a walk back on memory down memory lane in the last uh, few minutes of the, of the program. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, we, we've we talked about, again, the, the GMO, the Greater Milwaukee Open, gone, but not forgotten by many of us. The Circus Parade, gone, but certainly not forgotten. It appears that the Milwaukee Holiday Parade is going to be gone and not forgotten. All right, southeastern Wisconsin, an institution, an event, like the GMO, like the holiday parade, like the circus parade, an institution, something that you remember that's gone that you miss. You wish it was still around. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's take a walk down memory lane in, in recognition of apparently the Milwaukee holiday parade being 
now part of our past. 414-799-1620. Gone, but not forgotten. 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the announcement today by the organizers that last year was the final year for the Milwaukee Holiday Parade, which was always the weekend before Thanksgiving. They've simply said after 90-some years that the funding is dried up. Uh, Bonton, Boston Store, was one of the big sponsors. They're no, they're not here anymore, which, of course, is something else that's going to be in the category of gone but perhaps not forgotten. Let's talk to Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, the outdoor 57 theaters, the uh, drive-in theaters. Hi, Jason. Thanks. For, I miss outdoor theaters. I, you know, we did a segment a couple weeks ago about, I, I, I understand the economics of, of drive-ins, especially around here, are bad because you've got the, the land, and typically the land is worth more if you put up, you know, a strip mall or you put up condos or you put up something like that. But, but I, I miss the drive-ins. I think there is a market for drive-ins. And if you look at the success that the ones in, the one in Door County has, and even to a lesser extent, the one in Jefferson, if you look at the, the success of those, I, I think there's, you know, there, there is some value to that. David in Greenfield. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, David. Yeah, what I miss is they used to have air shows in like the late 60s, early 70s at Mitchell Field. And they were just fantastic air shows. They would have aircraft from all over the world. You know, they're mm-hmm. not putting down the show we have now, but it's right. just, they're just not like that anymore. Well, you know, I mean, all you have to do is look at the success of the EAA up in Oshkosh, you know, and, and people coming from all over the world for that. There, there certainly is, there certainly appears to be interest in that type of thing. Yeah, but back in the day, you know, Milwaukee was like our air show, and it was just, you know, mm-hmm. it was pure Milwaukee, and it was, there was even bombers that came from, from England that would even show up. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, thanks for calling. A little, little, little before my time on that. Let's see, 414-799-1620. Um, let's see. So I'm dating myself, but Alice Chalmers sponsored the uh, holiday parade in West Alice for a period of time. All right, here's Amanda says, I miss NASCAR coming to the Milwaukee Mile. It was something my dad and I used to go to every year. Yeah, in my... um. In my in my recounting, you know that's another thing gone but not forgotten, and, it, and it's it's currently matter of fact it's an issue that State Fair is wrestling with, and I, I think it's probably at the top of uh, my friend Kathleen O'Leary's agenda because you you have you got the track you've got the Milwaukee Mile, but they, they've tried various iterations of IndyCar racing and it's just not working. It, it when they had the when they had when they had the racing. First, they had promoters who did a lousy job. Then you had better promoters, but people still didn't come, and it's going to cost a fortune. You, know, What do you do with that facility moving forward? 414-799-1620. Donald in Milwaukee. Donald, you're on WTMJ. Oh, yeah, it's a cookie hook, cookie house at Capitol Court. Remember years ago when it was an open-air open air, uh, mall? I remember my parents used to take me in there, and we we just loved them when we were kids. I, I mean, thanks to no, the Kooky Cookie House would make appearances around uh, around Christmas time over at Capitol Court when we first started living in Milwaukee. I can rem- I can remember Capitol Court was one of the big malls you would go to. All right, uh, I met here, Jeff. I miss the Bayview South Shore frolics and West Dallas Western days, neighborhood celebrations with parades and fireworks in their prime. Yeah, that's you know that's one of the keys there. You know, one of the other things that there, there used to be now they do it. What the, the Greek festival? Um, that now they do it at State Fair Park 
because they actually kind of outgrew it. But for years and years, it used to be that the the Greek Annunciation Church on the border of Milwaukee and Wauwatosa, they actually had the festival in the church grounds, and you got a chance to tour the church and things like that. That's I, – I, I miss it. It's and this isn't a knock on you know doing it at State Fair Park, but to me it's just not the same. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Russell in Lake Geneva. Russell, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi Jeff. I might I might have misunderstood the question a little bit, but my answer is a Milwaukee Braves. Oh no. You, you know when I was a kid, it's like all of a sudden Milwaukee wasn't a major league city anymore. We had the Packers, but they were in Green Bay, and uh, it was before the Bucks, and uh, and I believe. You know, we had like we led the league in attendance when the Braves left for Atlanta. Well, or maybe before that, maybe back in at some point in time when the Braves were again. That's before my time. Thanks, that's before my time. But when the when the Braves were the World Series team. All right, here's one. I miss County Stadium. Well, okay. Here, here's here's the thing. I'm a big fan of Miller Park, and. I, I was working at WTMJ the last couple of years at County Stadium, so I got a chance to kind of get into the infrastructure of County Stadium. All I have to say is their lucky OSHA wasn't around because the truth was County Stadium, I think, had outlived its usefulness. I mean, County Stadium was kind of falling apart. I'm not sure you could say the same thing about the Bradley Center. I think the Bradley Center had lots more. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm in favor of the Bucks Arena. All right. I think it's going to be good for that area. But... County Stadium really had outlived its usefulness. The Bradley Center, I'm not sure that that was exactly the case, but still, you know, one of those things that are there. Okay, interestingly, Rocky says, the skating rink at Mayfair, hmm, that's Mayfair Shopping Center, was not always a success. That skating rink was one of the things that they put in to bring people in. And, and if you're not familiar with this, there was an indoor skating rink at, at, at Mayfair. And a lot of people went and spent a lot of time there and had a, had a great time. And that, that was part of an institution as well, if you were an ice skater. John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, John. Uh, I just wanted to mention the Hills Corner Speedway. It's now a Menard store. Yeah, that's 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 right. You you probably drive by it and just shake your head all the time, huh? For sure. Yeah, it's, got a lot of memories there. My brother raced for years. Oh right. Oh, so you actually participated in it? Oh, okay. I was on the crew. Oh, cool. Very cool. Thanks. You know, it's funny. I, I never I never made it to the hills corner speed. I, I, I just, I, I didn't get into that. I, I went to a couple events when I was a little kid, and I just remember them being really noisy and things, and I, I really never started going back. But I, I know that there's a lot of people that, that loved it. I went to one race at the Milwaukee Mile and, and just didn't go back. But that's 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 a very, very real thing. It's what do you do with that space moving forward? Um, Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, Mark. I had some things to add to the list, and I tried to figure out why I was adding them the list and you gave me a whole bunch more they used to have a hockey tournament wisconsin badgers in milwaukee during christmas sponsored by u.s bank if i believe correctly that i miss i miss the melody top oh the melody top oh yeah, yeah. we're 76th and good hope road and they for people who don't it was a it was a tent and they'd bring touring productions of like like musicals typically there and they'd have one every Theater couple weeks top. yeah and then uh the rex maze 150 and I miss Alpine Valley. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even though Alpine Valley is still operating, it's not doesn't have shows every week or anything like it used to yeah. be. Thanks yeah. for taking my call. Thanks for the call. The Melody Top. 
That's it. The, yeah, it was, it was, it was right next. Now, gosh, I want to say it was, it, maybe there's like a, there used to be a showbiz pizza there. The Melody Top was right next to the soccer fields. I guess it's Eline Fields now, but it was right next to that, like 76 and Good, Ro- Good Hope Road. And it was, again, it was theater in the round and they'd have these, the, these touring companies. And normally what it would be is you'd have some kind of like, B-list TV actor who was performing the, the different shows, but my parents, I always remember this. They had a, like a season subscription there, and I can, I can remember taking dates when I was in high school to the, the Melody Top. That was kind of like a, a classy way to go. I, I vividly remember this. Huh. Haven't thought about that in years and years. All right. Those are just a different list, and I, I'm sure it's always kind of fun to take a walk down memory lane. Uh, the, the holiday parade, it's too bad. I mean, I think it's one of those things that you're, you're sorry to see it go. At the same time, things do kind of run run their course. But the people who organized it and worked so hard for it for years and years and years and years and years, they deserve a lot of credit. Okay, 255. When we come back, we'll find out what John, Melissa, and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.